Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to revisit an old but um, necessary question about change. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you of PeaceWorks Live. PeaceWorks Live is our live event, our conference that's held in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, September 7th and 8th, 2023, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, PeaceWorks Live has been a tremendous training opportunity uh, for helpers and leaders uh, and lay people in the past, and we believe this year uh, has a lot of potential uh, to be even better. Uh, you're going to want to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. Yes, you can attend via live stream, but it is so much better live and in person uh, in Charleston, West Virginia. So be sure to check that out at chrismoles.org. Get registered, get signed up so that we can see you live uh, at PeaceWorks Live. All right, so today we're going to tackle a, I don't even know if I would call it a question. I think it is maybe, maybe best put the most common accusation or one of the most common pieces of pushback that we receive. And it, it revisits us periodically. Like it comes back around with individuals who, um, who, who continue to pose this, this question or this thought that resources and time and energy are being wasted uh, developing methods or approaches or resources or content uh, geared towards um, abuser repentance or helping abusers change or counseling individuals who have committed acts of abuse at all. And there is a very um, passionate base very passionate group of people who um, believe very firmly that abusive individuals cannot change, that it is a uh, fool's errand at best uh, for those of us who call abusive people to repentance, to change, to accountability. And I don't dismiss those voices completely. I, I would say I think my experience has been that the majority of those voices have been informed by some very horrendous um, abuse. They have been informed by some um, close proximities to some great uh, aspects of wickedness. And so I do want to be compassionate that individuals um, – see abuse recovery, abuse redemption, individuals, you know, pursuing repentance as being, yes, of course, difficult, but um, I want to have compassion with those who who would say it's impossible. And I think there's a lot of things that can inform that. Um, but I also believe there's a lot of information that informs our position, which is the concept that people can change, that the gospel is powerful and effective, and the gospel has um, an invitation to even the the most wicked 
among us. And so I think there's a, a lot of things we should be considering. And I want to walk through some familiar content just to, to, to give our position uh, on, on change. But I think it's also just important to note that when we use the term abuse, in particular domestic abuse, it has such a broad scope. There are so many ways in which um, individuals can be coerced and controlled. And certainly, I would agree that there there are individuals that are hard-hearted. There are individuals that have what the Bible refer to as seared consciousness or individuals who perhaps are reprobates. There, there are folks who are tremendous, have committed and participate in tremendous acts of, of wickedness and evil, and, and they are in many ways indistinct categories. However, I think the mistake that some of us have made is to put everyone who is accused of abusive behavior or who participates in abusive behavior um, into this irredeemable category where, you know, there's, there's no nuance. There's no um, discussion on, on those categories. And I think, for me, maybe the thing that has informed me the most, perhaps, I know I'm stumbling and bumbling a little bit over my words here, but I think for me something that has helped categorically uh, was the years I worked uh, criminal cases. So within the criminal and civil environment, you know, yes, you would have an individual who was charged with domestic battery. You might have two, three, four, six individuals all charged with the same crime. According to the state, they were all um, had committed acts of domestic violence. And while they were all within their own right, problematic, sinful, harmful, they were different. And there was a difference uh, between the individual who had a long history of violence, whose case file was um, was thick and and frustrating because of the times they had been in and out, in and out of court, uh, versus the individual who perhaps this was their first time in a program or involved in probation. It's not to say that one was more righteous than the other. It was just to say the complexities of their problems and the complexities of their behaviors and the effects that their victims experienced were quite different. And I had to take that in consideration. Everyone does. And so to say to the 17-year-old or the 18-year-old kid, I guess I should say, who was arrested on an initial assault charge, that was bad. It was something that had to be addressed. He had to be held accountable is now to be labeled because he's an abuser, because he's been charged with domestic abuse. He's now a psychophile, narcissist, sociopath who's irredeemable. Seems not only unfair to me, but it, it seems categorically dishonest to me. Whereas the guy who strangled his girlfriend with, um, with a bungee cord. Um, who has a, a series of criminal domestic abuse, um, including multiple attempts of strangulation, would categorically fit somewhere different for me. 
And so as I come into the work, and as so many as many of us who've worked multiplicity of cases come into the work, I think that's one of the initial pushbacks that we get. When we label everyone as irredeemable and throw out these uh, titles, I think it, one, it, uh, it convolutes the, the category quite a bit. And it also, I think, cheapens in some way the, the, the criminal, somewhat psychotic or sociopathic abuser who is highly dangerous in society. It somewhat cheapens him by equating him to um, this other person who committed acts of abuse but has resources and means by which they can change or be held accountable differently. And so even the criminal system sees that while, you know, Lady Justice is blind, as it were, you know, these people could be charged with the same thing. The approach to which we um, deal with them has to be different. Uh, and even if the criminal courts can see that, I think it's helpful that we see that. Now, why, why am I pushing back on this? Because I, I do believe that there are individuals that we should be dusting our feet off of. There are hostile, aggressive obstinate individuals who want nothing to do with the gospel. Uh, there are manipulative, coercive, controlling, and collusive individuals who want to use the gospel to continue to abuse. And then there are individuals who need confrontation, accountability, and through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit can find repentance, hope, and change. And I think it is important that we continue to develop resources and speak to those individuals who are open to change, who are open to the gospel. Uh, and I do think it's a shame that everyone's going to get labeled when that happens. Okay, you um, did the following acts, so therefore you're irredeemable. And I also think that does a great disservice to victims, if I can just be completely honest. I think the greatest means of addressing violence against women, as you've heard me say before, is addressing the hearts of men. So if we confront and hold men accountable and we find them to be hostile or obstinate, then we can adequately warn individuals in the future. If, if they, however, are open and receptive and they experience repentance and change and that change is observable, then that saves future victims as individuals' hearts and lives can be changed from violence to gentleness. And that's a big, um, that's a large reason, probably one of the, the primary reasons that we continue to do what we do at PeaceWorks. Because not only do we believe that change is possible, we believe that change is the greatest means of reducing violence against women, is by introducing men to the gospel in such a way that it produces lasting change. Does that mean that that re relationship in which they used coercive control is going to be restored? Maybe not. But will it impact their kids? I believe so. Will it impact any future relationships? I believe so. Could it even impact the, the current relationship? I, I believe it can, and I've seen it happen. So we will continue to pursue godly change. We will continue to call people to repentance 
um, and I guess I bring it up because, as I said at the beginning of, of the podcast, there there is a a sense of a continued uh, passionate pushback to say, um, you know, that destructive people really can't change. We are who we are. We're either good or we're bad. Where, of course, those of us who hold to you know the gospel would say, well, we all are corrupted by sin and therefore uh, susceptible to this temptation of power and control, and therefore we need the gospel. So I'm just going to offer um, just a rehearsing of some familiar material that I have talked about quite a bit when I've been asked this question. And sometimes this question is asked with a bit of passion, believing that people can't change, and sometimes it's asked out of desperation in the hopes that someone that I love can't, you know, could change. And the question is, you know, can they change? Is it possible? And the simple answer is, of course they can. You know, I've heard the sentiment many times that people cannot change. The understanding is that, you know, thieves are always thieves, that liars are always liars, abusers are always abusive. Uh, but I believe the Bible teaches that change is not only possible, but for those of us who claim to be Christians, it's necessary. God desires the unbelieving to practice repentance and experience transformation. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants believers to practice repentance as well, calling us to put off the old man and to, according to Ephesians 4, put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So the honest answer, can someone change? And I say, of course they can. The honest answer is anyone can change, but the potential for change is not the same as the realities of change. So of course they can. And I think that's where some of our friends, maybe who have a different philosophy, really struggle, that we would even hold the, the concept that change is possible. But I think in order to be faithful to the gospel, we have to say that. Can they change? Of course they can. That doesn't guarantee it. Just because the potential's there doesn't mean that it will become reality. People have to be receptive. Uh, the next question may be... Um, Maybe this, well, well, do they? Like, you've done this a long time, Chris. Do people really change? And the simple answer is yes, kind of. It depends. It, <laughs> it varies. You know, I've been doing this work for a long time, and I've seen nearly everyone that I worked with make changes. Sometimes those changes are radical. It's, it's exciting. It's amazing. Um to watch a person make a dramatic shift in thinking, to watch an individual um, really be open uh, to the changes that are needed. And at the same time, I've seen some people make immediate changes, like necessary changes, like I'll change this behavior to avoid consequences or pain. Um, this may make things safer, which is okay. I want sanctification, but sometimes I'll settle for safety. It's, and it's not my life. It's, I'm not living with them, right? I'm not married to them. 
And so sometimes safe is enough. There are commitments and compromises made, even if there isn't a heart level change. I want the change to happen transformationally, but sometimes people make necessary changes to avoid consequences, to avoid pain, to, um, to compromise or negotiate. This may make things safer in the short term, but you know it lacks the power that we're talking about. And obviously, I've seen some people make changes or attempt to manipulate through changes. Like if I make superficial changes, then, you know, that should be enough. Maybe people will leave me alone. So do people change? The honest answer is they do when they choose to. But motives are really important here. Um, And the validity of the changes... um, or the initial changes don't guarantee transformation. That's why you have to observe. That's why we talk about the difference between initial forms of repentance and evidence repentance. Um, and so do people change? They do. I think everyone changes to a varying degree. So we want to be true to the gospel that, yes, people can change. We want to be honest with ourselves that that choice is really up to them. And I think this is where a lot of us in the church get hung up. We we see superficial change, or we want the gospel to be, we want, we want them to respond to the gospel so passionately that we give them too many opportunities. We just drag our feet in the hopes that they change, when really this isn't a super long process to, to, to find openness. Um, and I think the last question that really pops up a lot is, will, will this person that I love change? Like, will... Will this person receive it? And the simple answer is, I don't know. You know, the the honest answer is, I don't know. Unfortunately, the individual most desperate for change is often the one being victimized. The last thing I want to do is to give false hope um, that a victim's positive attitude or faith that change is possible will lead that loved one to transformation. That's not how it works. I think, again, another area that the church has really failed is by promoting this notion that if if a victim would behave right a certain way, do all of the necessary things, then the abuse will stop. While you may desperately want that person that you love to get help, that decision... Um, is one that they alone can make. So I don't know. I don't know if the person that you love will ever change. So again, the heart of the question, do people can people change? I think so. I think we have to hold that if we believe the gospel. Do they? Well, it depends. People some people are open, some people are hostile, some people are 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 just completely obstinate. Uh, some folks are receptive and and we see change to varying degrees in everyone that that has worked with. Will that person change? I don't know. It's certainly not our responsibility. I can't do the work for them. You can't do the work for them. It's something that they have to do. Have you ever heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding? You've probably heard me say it. Um, Biblically speaking, we know that change has occurred when change has occurred. We have to observe it. Sometimes we in the church struggle with the difference between confession, I, I, I see it, and uh, repentance, I'm owning it and turning from it. 
And I think those are lessons that we can all benefit from as we continue to help others. Um, if you are looking uh, yourself for help, if you want to know more about transformation that only the gospel can provide, I, I would encourage you to check out Men of Peace at menofpeace.org. There's some great resources there that you can just look through. And then there's a course called the Men of Peace Self-Paced Course that can give you at least some of the tools to begin processing and will encourage you to find some people that can hold you accountable to making some of the changes that are necessary. But remember, even from our short discussion, your ability to change uh, is not dependent upon me or your partner or your church. It's about you doing the work and responding to the call um, of the Holy Spirit to see the sin in your life, to hate the sin in your life, to turn uh, from the sin in your life. And those are things that uh, only you can do. Well, I, I hope that was a little more clarifying. I know it is difficult to embrace or talk about this idea of transformation when it comes to people who have harmed others, uh, but I think it's a good discussion for us to continue to have uh, as we look for ways in which um, gospel saturation can help us in aspects of care and confrontation and even seeing the church becoming the safest place on the planet. Thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.